0: I'm cruising down the streets in my Lexus RX 350, which is about the most mom-looking car you can possibly buy. I know I've got this background track playing that makes it kind of seem like summer, maybe there's sunshine and palm trees, but on the day this was recorded, it was absolutely freezing. I'm on my way to Dave Barisi's house right now, who's someone I met at Open Soccer, and also happens to be a DJ, which just goes to show you that football brings the world together. I'm telling you all this because, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, this is the first time in what seems like forever that I'm actually able to learn something in person. And I can't think of anything better than DJ. I get to spin the buttons and push the records. I said that wrong. I've always been kind of curious how difficult it actually is. And I'm not someone who's musically gifted in any way, shape, or form. So if I can pull this off, I will be overjoyed. This is Ari Kagan. You're listening to Things You Don't Need to Know. So I arrive at Dave's house. And he takes me downstairs to his recording studio, which is a room with carpeted floors and ceilings that are a little bit lower than normal, very reminiscent of that era of architecture. But by far the most obvious thing about this room are the four shelving units, one on each of the walls, all of them completely packed with vinyl records—eight
1: or but, eight or ten thousand. But you could always there's can, more yeah.
0: on the top that we yeah, haven't yeah, even and counted. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then there is—I have like crazy stack here. Yeah. That. There, this we'll
0: take a closer look at the collection a little bit later. Before we do that, let's get to know Dave. So without any further ado, please welcome David Barisi. My name is David Barisi. been known as DJQ
1: for quite some time. Cue coming from cue up the next song. Been a DJ since I was 13 years old. Been a radio DJ, nightclub DJ, and I also produce music as well.
0: Dave was first inspired to be a DJ during the 1994 Woodstock Music Festival, which took place in Saugerties, New York. This might be because I pretty much only see him at Open Soccer, but he's usually wearing a fresh Adidas tracksuit. My dad owned a restaurant over there, and he opened up the parking lot. And he let people rent out space, almost like a flea market.
1: In the middle of all of this was one of my dad's friends. He had speakers set up, he had the lights set up and everything, and I was helping making pizzas on a, on a food truck from my dad but every now and then I would come down into the middle of the parking and I would see him play music and whatnot and had all these amplifiers mixers and everything and everything looked so cool and I was so into like the music I started asking a bunch of questions and then you know he put me on the boards he's like you think you could do it kind of thing you know and I was doing it here and there whatever and then I like really wanted to be into it so then I started seeing things on TV like MTV, DJ Scribble, Kid Capri, DJ Jazzy Jeff, watching it on TV was something different. You know, like I was like, wow, like he's he's the king of the party. Like everybody is going crazy because of what he's doing. You know, it's not just he's playing music, he's performing. And I was like, wow, I wanna be like that. That's what I wanna do. So every single day after school, he was practicing. I do 5% of my homework, you know, (laughs) from school and the rest of the evening would be, you know, literally just like mixing music, trying to scratch, try to get And I thought in my head I was kind of good. But, you know, at the time I was like, you know, (laughs) probably sounded horrible, you know, like just any DJ starting off on turntables. But little by little, you know, I was getting better and better because I was really, really trying to be better every single day. Like, you know, I was trying to make the sounds come out better. I was trying to mix better, you know? So that's, that's pretty much where I started. And I was 13, yeah. So when I started, that was <laughs> quite some time ago.
0: Well, we're on the topic of a long time ago, I thought it would be cool to do like a little history of DJs. So uh, let's do it. This is Ari's history of DJs. The phrase DJ comes from back in the good old days of radio and vinyl, or as they were also known, discs. The radio host would jockey or change out the discs for a new song, and thus the Disc Jockey, or DJ, was born. Skipping ahead a few decades, platter parties of the 1950s featured one cool dude who would serve up track after track, often talking to the crowd between songs. Meanwhile, in Jamaica, they had invented the sound system, which can only be described as a collection of smaller speakers stacked together to create one Speakersaurus Rex. DJs over there would throw these massive street parties, and they'd even compete against each other for who had the largest speaker system. It eventually became a pretty lucrative business where they'd sell tickets and food and drinks. In the 1970s, DJ Kool Herc threw block parties in his Bronx neighborhood and developed turntablism, the art of using turntables to not only play music, but to manipulate the sound and create original tracks. In other words, he was able to make near infinite loops of single parts of the song just by mixing between the two records. Across Town, Grand Wizard Theodore, I love these names, by the way, invented the scratching technique, which is, uh, you know, like, imagine that, I don't know, how do I even describe this? It's what every DJ does when they kind of like mess with the record with their finger and create that like That was was bad, but you know what I mean. The very next year in 1974, Technics released the SL-1200 Turntable, which through many evolutions remains an industry standard in DJing to this day. With the arrival of MTV in the 80s, DJing only grew in popularity. And over the next two decades, the rise of rave culture would push some of them to celebrity status. At the turn of the millennium, the MP3 player revolutionized music. Prior to its invention, DJs would have to bring crates of records to every performance. But now, they could fit every single song in their pocket. What was that like living through the transition and being a DJ through the transition of analog to digital? When I started
1: with vinyl, there was already DJs doing this on CDs at the time. You know, and there's pros and cons with that. I was collecting CDs all day because I was playing in my CD Walkman or whatnot. You know, I I thought it was cooler than cassette tapes. But uh, as a DJ, I I didn't care for the CDs. I, I went straight for the vinyl for multiple reasons. One, it looked cooler. (laughs) <laughs> you could scratch, uh, you know, records on a turntable versus like, uh, I mean, they made devices that you can play a CD and there's like a wheel on top of it and you can scratch. But to me, you're not really scratching the CD. To me, what you're doing is you're telling a computer to do it. There's things you could do with a vinyl that you can't with a CD. I feel like you have more control with, with the platform you're on, you know. So it's like you're going to race automatic or you want to race a stick.
0: Nowadays, David uses a software to emulate MP3s over blank vinyls. You're still
1: using turntables, vinyl, and a needle. The only difference is I'm using the same vinyl over and over again, and the music is not coming from the vinyl anymore because that's a tone. What's where the music's coming from is my laptop that has all the MP3s. It, it made DJing easier, like carrying your crates and stuff. Like I don't have to carry crates anymore. Now I just bring a laptop. So you know, if I brought like four crates of records to the to to the event, that's all I got. And each crate, let's say, holds like 75 records. That's all you got. Then you had to like. and choose where you're bringing to the event where now it's like i'm bringing everything and if you can't fit on your computer you could always bring a hard drive or you can simply download it off the internet we always have the possibility of downloading the song and play it you can never say no (laughs) you know what i mean uh dj say no because we just don't want to play the record like get out of my face you know like no i don't have internet connection right now like no
0: in your opinion
1: what makes someone a good dj i heard this question many times it's very hard to answer this because there's so many different types of DJ. So if you're talking about DJing a party, I think what makes a good DJ is knowing how to read the crowd.
0: And how would you read a crowd? Like what what would you do to try to get the best reaction out of each song?
1: I would just go fishing is what I would call it. Like I would literally play something and see, and see where the crowd wants to go. That's how I read a crowd. Like I'll play a song that I would think that the majority of the people would like and enjoy and I would go off of their reaction on that because if they reacted to something and I could see their reaction and they're like wow I can go there so then what I'm going to do my next record I'm going to play something that feels like that record like that's in that zone you know what I mean and I'll keep it going I'll keep that vibe going but if I didn't get a good vibe off that record then I would try something different you know like until I see something that sticks so that's like that there's science behind that, reading a crowd. And a good DJ would know how to read a crowd. It's like synergy, like, you know, like you, you want to play something that moves the crowd. And when, it, and when it does move the crowd, it moves you
0: too. But sometimes, for example, if you're doing radio, you don't have that crowd.
1: So radio is a little different because you're your record selection, you could play kind of like in a zone, but then you got to switch it up a little bit because let's say somebody doesn't like reggae,
0: right? How, why, who are you?
1: If they know you're gonna switch it up at some point, they probably won't change the dial. They'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm not really feeling this genre or whatever, you know? But he knows that you're gonna play like a couple songs and be out, you know? But if you stay into something too long and they don't really like that genre, they're just gonna change the dial.
0: I was planning on doing some type of music change here, but I'm really feeling True Vibration A from APM Music. If you don't like reggae, I'm sorry, but I don't know. I, I just really like this one at the moment. It fits pretty well. I actually
1: like DJs on the radio that's not predictable. Like, I'm like, oh my, like, remember this record? Like, things like that, like that, that hits me like that. That's what I like. Stuff that I can't get if I just watch YouTube or something or like find something on my phone. It's like, yo, give me something different. Give me a break. Give me a break from that stuff, you know what I mean? So, um, and there's different ways of doing that. Then there's DJs that do battle. Like, and it's all about what they call turntablism. What's the better DJ? Like, who's the better DJ in that uh, form of DJing? So it's like, you know, one DJ scratches better, juggles better than the other DJ. That's different. Cause now it's not so much about pleasing a crowd. Well, you're pleasing a crowd, but in a different way. Like the crowd, there's times where you have judges that tell you uh, who wins a DJ battle. And then there's a lot of times where they take it street, like street style, like let the crowd decide. So you're pleasing the crowd differently. You're pleasing the crowd through like tricks you know, rather than songs that make you
0: move. When we return, Dave shows me his record collection, and I even try DJing myself. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some
1: peasant Coke? No.
0: Welcome back to Things You Don't Need to Know. If you're just joining us, today's episode is all about how to be a DJ. I'm about to sit down in front of some turntables and actually try to do this, but on my way to the turntables, We walked through Dave's record room again, and let me just tell you, this place is unbelievable. I know people say they have a lot of records, but really they only have like 50 or 100. He has about 7,000. And and don't be fooled because there's doubles in in majority of them. Okay, correction, there's at least 7,000. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more, but I can guarantee there's 7,000. Also, just a little refresher for what this room looks like. All four walls have those 12 inch by 12 inch IKEA cube units. I think it's called Calyx, except these aren't the IKEA ones. These are a much better quality version. There's also even more records stacked from the top of the shelving units all the way to the ceiling. And finally, a couple metal crates in the corner, once again, full of vinyl.
1: I started with like a couple crates, but that was just, you know, buying some records at like. Some uh, garage sales, or I would go make a trip to either Albany or down in the city, sometimes in Newburgh, to like some record shops. Any money that I was able to have from like busted tables at a restaurant over the weekend, I would have some money and buy some records. That, that was like a little kickstart for me um, to start practicing on how to use vinyl and be a DJ with turntables and whatnot. And it wasn't until like um, I started doing college radio. I bumped into, which I'm still very close friends with him today. He's like a brother of mine, um, Mr. Vince. He was working actually at a record label down in the city. So he had a lot of connections with a lot of record labels and whatnot. And that kind of like was my start. As soon as I started doing the radio with him, he put me into connections to different record labels over there. And what they do is they connect to the DJs that are on radio. So you build a relationship with them, you know, a connection, and they give me promos. So a lot of these records you see here, the majority of them are mainly promos from the record label. So every single day at the house was like Christmas. <laughs> the truck delivery would come in and the package always looks the same. The only difference is how thick the package was. Wow. But it was always a 12 inch, wow. you know, like, like package. So you know, it's records that are in there. So sometimes I get like maybe, and they're always in doubles, you know, wow. so I might get like, four pairs in one day, sometimes I get like 10, you know?
0: The reason he wants two of every record is so that he can kind of mix the songs together to create almost infinite loops of certain beats. He's got two turntables with the same record on both of them. It just, it allows so much more possibility for different sounds.
1: And this is how the record labels actually
0: promote their music.
1: So they they go
0: through the DJs. I'm not like their main client, you know what I mean? I'm like their, their promoter tool. So having looked at all the records and picked out a few of our favorites, it was my turn to be a promoter tool. Okay, so we got two turntables and they're set up in battle style.
1: Reason why it's called battle style is, first of all, you see how the turntables, they're not, uh, traditionally they're, they're supposed to be like this. I put them this way.
0: Both turntables are on either side of the mixer and they've been rotated 90 degrees so that they're vertical. Because now the tone arm and
1: the needle is out of your way when you're mixing. So this way, Allows you to get busy quicker, it can do tricks.
0: Currently there's a vinyl record on each of the two turntables. However, they only play a tone.
1: That's actually the record that you're listening to right now. Okay. It's a tone. It's changing as you hear it. You don't notice it, but it is. This tone has like um yeah, a code. That. There's yeah. a code that's going on. So
0: it almost sounds like Morris code that's been. Sharing. The needle takes the data from that record sends it through the mixer and out into the computer where it's translated into an actual song.
1: This is specifically vinyl emulation software. They're literally vinyl. The yeah. records that I've been DJing, you know, like yeah. this.
0: No, it's a, it's a real record. Yep. This allows you to play literally anything without ever having to change the record. Hell, you could play this podcast on it if you wanted to. It also means you don't have to bring three heavy metal crates to each performance. The last thing Dave showed me was just all the little buttons on the mixer. I'm not gonna get into it, uh, just because it's it's hard to understand when you're standing in front of it, so it would just be impossible on a podcast. But all you really need to know is there's a little slider to change between the tracks, a few buttons to start and stop the records, and you can adjust the pitch, which is crucial when mixing between two songs with different beats per minute.
1: When I'm cueing a song, I make it go back and forth very little, so I can find where that beat is. You know, like where the bass or the bass hit or a snare, whatever whatever sound I'm trying to start it on. Like if I move it a little bit behind, you hear nothing. But if I just Right there is where the sound is. So if I just scratch that part, wait, here's when I let go. It's like I let go, but I give it a slight push. And it's like the record literally starts perfectly. It's one of those things. It's like, you know, when you're learning to drive a car and like you're in first gear with the clutch, like, you know, you got to find the sweet spot. You know what I mean? But once you find the sweet spot, this is like you don't even think about it.
0: The first kind of trick he showed me was how to make a really cool sound by simply turning off the turntable.
1: So let's say I'm playing, right? And I go... (laughs) See, there is no, there's no more power on it, you know?
0: That's
1: so cool. So, yeah, one one thing I like to do is when I'm doing that, right? By the way, I just spun the record back really fast. (laughs) So if I like, I turn it off and then I spin it back like that.
0: Next, he showed me a few different scratches.
1: That is called a chirp. This is called a baby scratch. Cause that's like the first scratch anybody will ever do. It's not even using the crossfader. Mm-hmm. Just like, just go back and forth. But notice the sound difference. Not using a crossfader sounds like this, right? Yeah. Using one. <laughs> so there's so many different sounds you could do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Just by changing the direction of the record, how fast you're changing it, and how much you're, you're moving the crossfader, you do so many different sounds. Like, I just basically turned the turntable into an instrument. But go ahead, try the Baby Scratch if you like. I'll put this in the middle. Baby Scratch, you don't even got to use this. Just, here's the sound. Just like that? Yep. And if you notice, it, another thing too, the record, you see how I have it all marked out? It's almost like... It's like 11 o'clock is where the sound is. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so much easier. Like, you, you know where the sound is. Yeah,
0: so. Can you hear that? Wow, look at that. There we go. So then. You, I... you passed the baby scratch test. Eh, beginners luck. What can I say? Unfortunately, it got really advanced really quick.
1: I could do the echo by hand.
0: I uh, w- wasn't able to do that.
1: It's actually trickier than what it looks because you got to like go full volume, bring it all the way down. You always got to bring it all the way down because you're bringing the record back. You don't want to hear the backspin and then you got to play it forward again, but now you got to go with the volume, not all the way up, go to 90%, bring it down, 80%, bring it down, you know, like so. Yeah, that's
0: incredible. And then it's like, you don't even hear any of this. Yeah, That's like the thing. You don't even, you don't, you just think that it's perfect.
1: You play in what you want people to hear that's when the volume's up. And then everything behind the scenes, you bring the record back or whatever, like, and you don't want them to hear that, then that's when you mute it. You know, Sometimes you want them to hear the record go back because that's part of the sound effect you're trying to make. It just depends on the sound you're trying to do. But there's literally new sounds all the time. Like, there, there's DJs just just always coming out with creative ways of like scratching records.
0: All right, so I understand like a lot of the fundamentals. Now it's time to actually do it.
1: One thing that I think uh, DJ should know is how to not only just catch a beat, but can you blend one song to the other song? What makes that hard is, you know, you get the feel of the beat of the one song that's playing, but can you feel the beat of the song that you're queuing up? And how can you blend that to the song that's already playing right now with the correct speed, the correct tempo? I'm gonna give you two tracks similar speeds, and as long as you can catch the beat, you can blend it.
0: So I gave it a shot. Yeah, see, it's like you gotta get used to how much you gotta touch the record, you know what I mean? So you could bring it back again. After a little practice finding the beat, and even more staying on tempo. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get it, trust me. My mission is to make sure you do this. I finally did it. There you did. It. You yeah, did. It. Yeah, yeah. You all right. did it. All right. It's on beat. Thank you. Thank you. Now you could bring this down. There you go. You you successfully
1: mixed right there like from one track to another track and it's
0: on beat. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> I honestly I knew that I could do it, but I didn't think that I would be able to. Yeah, man. Well, folks, there you have it. I'm not going to be in your local club anytime soon, but I sure had a lot of fun doing it. But the fact that you actually pulled you you know, you pulled off a couple blends, though you you mixed. You I, know, was, you I was I was surprised. Yeah, no, that's it's
1: cool though, man. Like, you know, it always starts with that, you know, and then after that it's just practicing, practicing. You'll start
0: doing this stuff like without even thinking about it, yeah. you know. I've genuinely never had so much fun making an episode. I just wanted to take a few seconds to thank Dave for giving me this opportunity, showing me the ropes, and I think I'm gonna go buy a turntable right now. So you help me afford this. Thanks for listening. Things You Don't Need to Know is a Hyper Object and 3 Uncanny 4 production. The show is hosted and produced by myself, Ari Kagan, with help from Harry Nelson and Shane McKean. Nuna Sharafstein is our production manager. Our executive producers are Adam McKay, Laura Mayer, and Adam Davidson. The show is mixed by Nice Manners. If you like Things You Don't Need to Know, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you leave a review, I'll send you my mixtape. Anyway, see you next week.